This is Matthew Hester, Senior Pastor at Dominion Church. I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Dominion Church podcast experience. Our podcast aims to deliver truth from God's Word concerning His kingdom and your righteous identity as His beloved child. Please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and do share it with a friend. We pray that you are blessed, challenged, and changed by what you're about to hear. All right, thank you so much for joining us here at Dominion Church. I'm so glad that you're here with us on Facebook Live, perhaps on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC, or on our podcast experience. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Like and share this video. Like and share our podcast. Leave a review. That'll help us. Then also come be a part of one of our corporate gatherings. We meet here at the historic Taylor Mill, 1 o'clock p.m., We'd love for you to come and be a part of one of our live gatherings so you can get more than just the message. You can get praise and worship. You can get personal ministry. We'd love to have that opportunity to be a blessing to you. Uh, I don't want to take any more time here with introductions. I want to jump into our fourth session in this series that we've been doing called Down by the River. Have you guys been enjoying this so far? So uh, I I can't recap it all, but last week was Pentecost Sunday, and we we took a little bit of a, I, w- I wouldn't say we would diverge too much, because it all fits into what we're talking about, but we looked at John the Baptist, and he said, my gospel, my baptism, my message comes with a baptism of water, but the one who's coming, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to, to, to carry, he comes to baptize with spirit and with fire, and then we see that play out plays out in the book of Acts, and Peter references the prophecy of Joel and says, this is that that was prophesied by Joel. And it's interesting, Joel called those days the last days, when his spirit would be poured out on all flesh, men, women, children, servants, no one was excluded. And then Peter even said, again, this is that that was prophesied by the prophet Joel, these are the, the last days. And I didn't want to, man, I really resisted getting into a uh, discussion on end times and eschatology. But isn't that interesting? Peter tells us those were the last days they were living in. And then somehow we still think it's the last days for us. When it's not. It is not. We live in the day of the Lord. A day without end. A day of the increase of the government of God that Isaiah prophesied. Okay, so can't, can't keep going into all that. So in session four, I want to go back and I want to look at the very first mention of the Jordan. Remember, down by the river. What happens at the river can't stay at the river. And I thought this was interesting. And and I'll just tell you, the last week and a half, I have learned more uh, just from these these verses here, Genesis 13. So we're going to look, we're going to visit Ezekiel 16 for a minute. Things I had not considered or thought about. Until I've studied this out, and of course, you gotta, you got to have some of this conversation with the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost knows how to bring revelation. You guys know that, right? So it's pro- one of His primary functions is to reveal to us all truth, to guide us into all truth. And so I want to look at this. Genesis 13, you can open up your Bibles. We're going to be reading some verses here. Uh, give you some, some background context so we don't have to read this whole chapter. So we got Abraham... Out of Egypt, he's got his wife and fa- he's got his wife 
uh, everything that he has, Lot is with him. And it says they became very wealthy. Say very wealthy. In livestock and in silver and gold. Can I tell you how wealthy? So wealthy that they realized they could not share the same land. Can you imagine having so much livestock that you're like, you know what, dude? We're going to have to divide and conquer or our livestock is going to deplete the land we're on. We've got so much wealth, so much riches. Isn't that beautiful? And verse 5, Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so much going on. And then quarreling began. Now, if we're not careful, I want to look at really some details here. It was not a quarrel between Abraham and Lot. We miss this a lot of times. I miss this a lot of times. I thought, well, Abraham and Lot, they get, they're getting in fights, and he's like, you know, we need to part ways. No, it says that Abraham and Lot's herders started quarreling. Hey, my sheep are over here. Why are your camels over here? We don't have space for this stuff. We Get away from my sheep. So the quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So lots of tenants in a limited space. So Abraham said to Lot, verse 8, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me and between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left... I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Tremendous generosity on Abraham's part. A lot of what Lot enjoyed by way of riches and wealth was because of his connection to Abraham. So Abraham had the full right to say, listen, dude, just get out of here. Take your stuff and go. But Abraham was not that way. He said, you pick whatever you want, and I will take the next choice. I will take plan B. And now, look at what happens, verse 10. Lot looked around, and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan, this is the first mention of Jordan. He saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. And then your translation may have this in parentheses. This was, by the way, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You see that? Was that that in parentheses in your Bible? Go back and look at this. You may say, what does this have to do with anything? We're going somewhere. So he looks towards the whole plain of the Jordan, towards Zoar, and he saw that it was well watered. And then look at this. Like the garden of the Lord. Say, like the garden of the Lord. It doesn't say it was the garden said it was like the garden. And then look at the very next statement, like the land of Egypt. Like the land of Egypt. This Egypt, by the way, is where Abraham has just come out of. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain. 
and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, a little history lesson. The cities of the plain actually comprise five different cities, five cities in the cities of the plain. But it says that he pitched his tents near Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, these are the two cities that live in infamy in biblical history and perspective. These cities are south of the Dead Sea, and they're 15 miles apart. Imagine that, 15 miles apart. So it would basically be the distance that Greer would be to downtown Greenville, so roughly 15 miles apart. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring would be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abraham went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. What happens at the river can't stay at the river. Again, the, the beauty of this is in the details. When Lot picks his place to dwell, he picks it based on natural observation. It looks green. It looks lush. It looks prosperous, and he heads that way. What he did not see was people living in sin. He did not see wickedness. Let's be honest, because that's not what he was looking for. He was looking for a place where his herd could be taken care of, where he would be happy. But then look at this. I can't believe I've never pondered this before. So when they separate, Lot goes towards Sodom, the cities of the plain, and look where Abraham goes, into the land of Canaan. Now you know the land of Canaan. What do we call the land of Canaan later on? The promised land. This is the same land that Israel crosses over to in Joshua 3. It's the same place where Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan. Remember, he is our promised land. And Lot chooses one place, and Abraham almost by default walks into the place that will be called and recognized as the promised land. So the children of Israel were not trying to get to a place that they had never been. They were trying to get to a place they had been before, but had walked away from See, when Israel got to Joshua 3, where did they come out of? Egypt. Abraham came out of Egypt looking for a place to dwell. And he tells Lot, pick what you want. Lot looks with the eyes of his own understanding, and he picks a place marked by death, south of the Dead Sea. The, the cities of the plain were not in the promised land. And Abraham's like, okay, you picked your place. I'm going to go dwell in Canaan. Abraham was dwelling in the land of promise. Dwelling in the land of promise. And then you go into chapter 14. It's, it, it's all pretty quick in the narrative. All of a sudden, Lot needs to be rescued. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. 
So again, let's backtrack. The kingdom of God is what? Romans 14, 17. Righteousness, peace, and joy in Holy Ghost. While I know certainly in this time in Genesis 13, they're talking about geography, we know that these truths go beyond geography. Because Jesus is who calibrates our understanding of promised land. Because the Pharisees quiz Jesus, what does the kingdom look like? And he says, well, unlike, this is my paraphrase, unlike times past, you cannot look and say, well, there's the kingdom, or it's over here. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within. What are the trademarks of the kingdom of God? You guys all know it. You could preach it back to me as quickly as I say it to you. It is righteousness, peace, and joy. So for our purposes, let's say it this way. Lot chose something that looked good to his own understanding, but ultimately would not produce righteousness, peace, and joy. Abraham walks right into the Canaan land, the land that one day would be known as the land of promise. And he's living in it, and he's thriving, and he's flourishing. So now let's look at our own, for, again, for our own purposes, look at a lot of what we deal with today. We have friends. We have family. They're choosing what looks to be right. It's flourishing. It's green. That's where I want to go. And a lot of us, I'll, I'll say myself included, we struggle with there will come times where we have to part company. And it's not... It's not writing someone off. It's not saying when you walk out the door, you're dead to me. None of that was happening in this, in this story. Abraham literally, out of the generosity of his own heart, said, choose your way because I don't want to fight with you. Man, and a lot of times, I feel like, I'm just let me talk about Matthew personally. A lot of my frustration is, is I'm fighting with people that I should be saying, just go and choose what you want. Go and choose what you want. A lot of what I learned this past February, I was fighting with images of what I wanted people to be. And, and, my, and my counselor's like, this is, how do you do that? You are wanting them to be someone that they're not. How does that work out for you? It's, it's, it's embarrassing, really. When we just need to say, just go, choose. I cannot make you walk into Canaan. I cannot make you walk in the lifestyle that God has provided for you, a lifestyle marked by righteousness, peace, and joy. I cannot make you go there. So pick what you want. Pick where you want to go. Now, I, I am not saying, I want to make sure I clarify, I'm not saying choose heaven or hell. I'm saying there is a way there's lots of verses we could, we could touch on. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And we use that as a hell verse. I think it's a life verse. It's a verse about choose how hard you want life to be. Because there's a way that is marked by the heart of God. It's the way of righteousness, peace, and joy. Or there's a way that seems right to you. How does it seem right? It's not like it's nefarious. How did it seem right to Lot? He looked and it said, the land looked like the garden of the Lord. 
It looked like the land of Egypt. Now, when we say Egypt, because we have a lot of perspective, we always think of bad things. But you realize Egypt in this day was the heart of the planet. Everyone wanted to be in Egypt, unless you were a slave in Egypt. (laughs) But it's where you wanted to be. It was a place of riches, wealth, education. And Lot's like, man, this place looks like Egypt. It looks like the Garden of Eden. That's where I'm going to go. And he had no idea it was not the place of promise. And so you turn a page in your Bible, Genesis 13, Genesis 14, all of a sudden, Lot needs to be rescued. He needs to be rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, can I give us some details? I I just have to teach a few things. I think it will help with our perspective. What have you been taught? What did you grow up believing was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? Again, remember, it's two different places. Okay, they're twin cities, sure enough, but it's two different places. What were you taught was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? That's it. Sexual perversion, homosexuality, right? Um, and, And we referenced some verses there to fortify that point. So the word Sodom means their secret. That's all it means. Their secret. Their secret. Gomorrah is not nearly as eloquent, but it's basically a place that's marked by uh, deception and, and lasciviousness. <laughs> okay. But I want to tell you what we've taught, been taught, or believe. I think we could challenge that pretty quick. I feel like the reason, and I know like right now in America, we're in, we're in Pride Month. We're in Pride Month. So this is risky saying some of this stuff. I don't know where all this is going to go out to, but I can't apologize for it. A lot of times I feel like we use Sodom and Gomorrah because the bulk of us don't identify with homosexuality. Okay. Actually, according to national research and polling, now you can argue these numbers, you can argue any number, roughly 4%, 4% of the population wrestles with homosexuality, lesbianism, transgenderism, all that stuff. 4%. So let's get it down to numbers we can grasp. So out of 100 people, four, four would wrestle with it. Again, you could... You could play with the numbers a little bit. So I feel like in religious circles, and this is not unique to Christianity, this is also extremely heavy in Islam as well. We use Sodom and Gomorrah as a moral lesson on why we should not engage in homosexuality or homosexual behavior because the judgment of God is going to rain down on us. We even use the name of the city Sodom to identify with homosexual behavior. That's where we get the word sodomite from. Right? But... I had this sense, and you guys just track with me. We use this, and we use the judgment narrative against homosexuality because most of us do not wrestle with it. So we're comfortable calling it out. Now, I wrestle with other things, but let's not go there because God did not destroy them for overeating. He did not destroy them for lying. He did not destroy them for for stealing. He destroyed them because they were gay. Well, did he? 
Go to Ezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16, the prophet Ezekiel is prophesying, and he is hammering Israel. Well, God is. God is hammering Israel through his prophet. So much so that he calls Sodom the sister of Israel. Ezekiel 16, we're looking at verse 49. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. You see that? You know, you see what the sin was? She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty, which is proud, and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Whoa, wait, hold on a second. So God is telling me that the terrible thing that Lot got all entrapped in, in these cities, it wasn't about just crazy sexual behavior, unnatural sexual. It was was down to stuff like arrogance, pride, overeating, No concern. Don't want to help the poor and needy. Why do we not talk about this? Because this is stuff we can all identify with. I can see me in those statements. And then all of a sudden, where I used to feel like I was miles removed from Lot and his choices, all of a sudden, he's my brother. (laughs) (laughs) And we're walking together. And I realize the subtlety of choosing something other than righteousness, peace, and joy. It is not this polarization between this is the God life and this is what real sinners look like. And again, in this day and age, and I don't know why. I mean, I do, but I, I don't quite understand why is we choose homosexuality, LGBT, we choose all that as the worst and the chiefest of sin. But then God speaks to his prophet and says, ah, it's a lot more relatable than what you think. So most, most of it, let me, let me say Matthew. Matthew in this position certainly would have chosen the same thing as Lot. I would have looked and said, that looks great over there. That looks flourishing and prosperous. I'm going to go there. The reason we don't want to talk about that is because it brings conviction to us. And so the promised land is righteousness, peace, and joy. Anything other than righteousness, peace, and joy is choosing Sodom and Gomorrah. But not crazy Sodom and Gomorrah that we've made it out to be. Relatable Sodom and Gomorrah. Relatable. It's other than righteousness, peace, and joy. What does other than look like? Again, here's a list, and I would venture to say it's not a long list. It's just a short one here. There's probably other things we could identify with. Arrogance. Man. Overfed. Why'd they have to put that one in there? Unconcerned. 
That really hit me. Because in this day and age, we all, I believe, are getting emotionally exhausted with how many things we're supposed to be concerned with. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Situations you're supposed to be concerned with, people you're supposed to be concerned with. I mean, everything from government to just a school, education. I mean, it's crazy. No longer concerned. Didn't help the poor and needy. Ouch. Now, I want to say this. Now, just a side note. Still, we're led by the Spirit, right? We're led by the Spirit. So, I go uh, to Woodruff Road often. For those of you watching, it's just, it's a busy, a stupid busy area of town. There's more economic growth there than there is roadway. And I get to the certain exit, and nearly every day, not every day, but nearly every day, there's a panhandler out there wanting money. And then I found out as I continued, there were times I'd feel a little convicted, like I should care. Then there are days I go by, and I saw there's a group of them that hit the same exit at different sides. And then I noticed that they rotate. And again, you can call me the cynic. Hopefully it doesn't mean that I'm unconcerned and I don't want to help the poor and the needy. But it looks like to me they have a system in place to get out and to get money. Now that being said, there are still times where I get up to that exit and the Lord will knock at my heart and say, you know, you, you got some money you could hand to them. So what I'm saying is, all this is still led by the Spirit. If you just said, okay, this is my commitment from here on forever. I will make sure to be concerned about everything. I will take care of every poor person and every needy person. Guess what? You will soon become poor and needy. We have to be led by the Spirit. But how many times, let's just talk Matthew for a second, the times where I have ignored and resisted that urge, knowing the Holy Spirit is convicting my heart to be concerned. And I'm not. You know what I chose in that moment? I chose something that was not the kingdom. I chose something that will not produce righteousness, peace, and joy. And then finally, so we can land this, I, this, got, this got deep quick. <laughs> Lot makes his choice. It's anti-kingdom. It's anti-the-promised-land. It looked good in his own understanding, but it was destruction for him. And what do we still see God do? Chases him down. Chases him down. Sometimes I feel like we, and not intentionally, we feel like God only lives in the promised land. The promised land is His, but He also lives in places that aren't full of promise. He lives in places that are marked by hardship. He intentionally goes into places where people have made their choice. And he said, I'm going to come for you because I, I love you so much that I can't let you go. Now, again, that's not robbing us of choice. Lot made his choice. But, but when, when, the, when the urgency arose, 
Where was God? He was there. And again, there's so much more the narrative we could play with. God originally was not intent on going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know how I know that? Because when he first appears, he said, we're going to see if things are as bad as we have heard. Going to see. Now, never mind what this narrative all actually fits into with the Old Testament paradigm. You, I believe people felt like, well, if something's destroyed, God's going to do it. And so they assign it to him. Again, not understanding his heart. The heart of God is seen most clearly in moments just like that, where he goes to rescue Lot in the middle of his choices. That's the heart of God. Isn't it funny how we'll say, no, the heart of God was to destroy them, perverts. That's the heart of God. No, the heart of God was he went after Lot, even though Lot had made his choice. Remember, if there are moments where we can't see the heart of God clearly, look for the glimpse, look for the window, and you'll find it. Like in the Ten Commandments, right? We know the Ten Commandments was not originally God's idea. So of the ten, where do we get the clearest glimpse of the heart of God? Remember the Sabbath. You ever wondered why that's in there? Because the rest of it is pretty hardcore. But no, his heart is, guys, this is going to be so ridiculously hard. Make sure you rest. Now, doesn't that sound like a father? You get a snapshot of his heart. And if you will look and be sensitive, you can see those snapshots all throughout the stories. It may not give you all the answers, but you can see his heart. And right there in that moment, there's his heart. Listen, I love Lot. Come on, Abraham. You know, you know I love you both equally. And I know he made his choice, but I've got to go for it. I've got to get him. And you know what it reminded me of? While we were doing praise and worship today, the thought had not crossed my spirit or my heart. It reminded me of the prodigal son. You, you could almost draw some parallels. Abraham's in the place of promise, chilling out, having a good time. Lot has made his choice. He's living in a place that is going to cost him dearly. And what does the Lord say? Ah, I got to go, go get him. I got to go find him. Got to chase after him. I love that. So what happens at the river can't stay there. And that's whether you choose righteousness, peace, and joy, or you choose something else. But listen, this, this was something else that I, I really want to make sure that I articulate properly. You can choose a hundred times a day to be living in righteousness, peace, and joy or not. It doesn't mean you're not born for it. doesn't mean you're not made for it. and doesn't mean Jesus doesn't live in you. It just means we have to discipline ourselves to make the choice. When something comes to rob your peace, you choose what, what causes peace. When something calls to challenge your joy, you choose joy. I think part of our kingdom experience is actually caught up and identified in this, walking it out a day at a time. What does it look like? What does this life look like as kingdom men and women? Jesus showed us what it looked like in his earthly ministry. Now, the earthly ministry of Jesus, prime example, and then we're done. Did he encounter hardship? Yes. Did he encounter obstacles, stress, trial, persecution? Yes. And I don't think any of us would argue sitting here and watching online that any of us have suffered more than him. But he still managed to maintain 
righteousness, peace, and joy. And if he can do it in the face of his captors who are literally nailing him to the cross, can we do it when we suffer some inconvenience? Can we do it when gas prices are stupid? Can we do it when our flavor of the year president is either amazing or an idiot? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Because Jesus set the bar pretty, pretty, pretty high, didn't he? <laughs> Actually, he set the bar in such a way that he doesn't want us to meet it. <laughs> he set it in such a way that only he can meet it, and he invites us to, to the meeting. Listen, I've already done this, guys. You don't do this. I've done it. So just come on up. All right, so we got to land there. I just want to encourage you, if you haven't caught anything else from what I've said today, it's this. Let people choose. Sometimes that's what's going to happen in your kingdom experience. Actually, it's going to happen often. Let people choose. Instead of fighting with them, let them make their choice. And that's not you giving up. That's not you throwing in the towel. Again, like I said earlier, that's not you saying you're dead to me. That's you saying, I love you enough not to fight with you, so make your choice. Because you're going to make yours. I'm choosing righteousness, peace, and joy. You choose what you want to choose. I love you. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still for you, but I can't do this for you. I can't make you. I can't make you go after God. I'm sure there's other ways to say it. But that, that even seems like a weak way to say it, but that's, that's the way I want to say it now. But do your thing. And then in letting them go, let them go. Truly let them go. Right? So we're not micromanaging. We're not trying to manipulate from a distance. You've made your choice. I've made mine. I'm in Canaan now. Where are you? Okay. And you know what? You're going to still get a call and a text time to time. And you're going to hear the same nonsense. And you're going to think, man, you could be so much further along. But, you know, I can't make that choice for you. So we still love them where they are. There might be a moment, hear this, where God's going to say, hey, it's time to go rescue them. Let's go. Let's go get them. Let me share this story, and then I'm done. I'll never forget this. This was years ago. Um, my dad had a family member that was just in a terrible place with addiction, a terrible place, all kinds of things. And he finally just decided he had had enough. <laughs> and he called some of his close friends in ministry and said, we're going to go after this man. And they showed up unannounced to his house. And he was already in a stupor. And they began to pray. And they stood. And it was hours. Hours. But when they left, he was free. And when they left, he became a part of ministry for years. So there are times, you ever felt that? Where it's like the God's like, take the gloves off. Right? There are times where God will come after us to help us come to ourselves. That reminds me of Jonah. Grace is the storm. Sometimes the storm is God's intervention on your behalf. Don't curse that storm. That's the storm you want to embrace. You know, th three major storms that we look at in Scripture. You know, I, I, was, I was just listening to this uh, Varner. I was listening to Varner on YouTube this past week. And man, he hit it so hard. I was like, man, that's one of the things I miss about him. He'd say something in five seconds that made me think for five weeks on it. And he'd say, we look at the three storms, right? And he talks about the storm of Jonah, the storm of Jesus, and the storm of Paul. He said the storm of Jonah, right? 
Jonah had to, he had to succumb to the storm. The storm of Paul, he had to learn how to ride the storm. The storm of Jesus, he spoke to the storm. And he said, we're all going to encounter each of those storms at some point in our lives. But the storm of God's intervention is one you have to succumb to. It's going to overtake you because it's saving you. All right, well, Lord, we just thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that this word, I know I've been all over the place. I haven't been able to focus quite like I wanted to today, but I pray that these words are spirit, that they're life, that they're encouraging someone, they're helping someone. Lord, help us, you know, I help us to distance ourselves from religion. I, I really have been in that kind of a place now for several months. At the very heart, if you just, if you boiled down religion and reduced it to, to its base material, it is the cry of separation. It's the cry of us versus them. That's religion. And so Lord, help us to be set free from that. The kingdom of God is not about us versus them. The kingdom of God is not about having an enemy. The kingdom of God is about announcing we're all family. The standard is righteousness, peace, and joy. That being said, our good father who refuses to control you still gives you a choice. Choose wisely. But even if you make a dumb decision, and I'm not encouraging that we do, but if you do, God still has this, oh, this heart, this desire, this long-standing ministry of pursuing rebels. And he will pursue you. Even if it means to the very gates of hell itself, he pursues to the end. So Lord, I just thank you for all these things now. Decree them by faith in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Like and share this so others can be blessed as a result. Don't miss next Sunday. If you're able, join us for our Father's Day Sunday. I'm really excited for what the Lord's going to bring next week. All right, God bless you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.